And what beautiful, beautiful music this morning. Thank you, Tim and Val, and thank you, Allie, for the beautiful music this morning. Thank you all for being here with us today. I'd like to bow in prayer before we begin the sermon time. You join me. Father in heaven, in tackling this subject, I just wanted to say in prayer, I don't want to do it unless your Holy Spirit is present. But I am so thankful that I have already sensed the power of your Holy Spirit here this morning with us. And Lord, I pray that your word would be so much louder than my voice today. Bless us as we open up the Bible and help us to see your heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. People drowning in raging floodwaters as people frantically claw at the door even of Noah's Ark to survive. Fire and brimstone raining down upon Sodom and Gomorrah, incinerating everything. Complete annihilation of cities, including women and children and livestock, by the children of Israel in warfare. Certainly, there is good reason for questions about why God carried out such devastation in these various difficult passages of the Old Testament. It's led many people to ask the question, why is the God of the Old Testament so different from the New Testament? This isn't a new concern. This question has circulated for centuries, even by those who are deeply entrenched within the church. Take Marcion, for example, a second century bishop who rejected the teachings of the Old Testament, saying that the teachings of Jesus were incompatible with the Old Testament God. His church leaders denounced him as a heretic. But who knows if he and those church fathers had a dialogue at all and reasoned together biblically or not. But here, in the Medford Seventh-day Adventist Church, we intend to do just that. We intend to reason together when someone has a question that is Difficult with reconciliation of an issue, the best way to resolve it, we believe, is to open up the Word of God together prayerfully so that we can let God speak. We want you to know this is a safe place to ask questions. Pastor Brian and I, through this sermon series, Your Questions Answered, plan and pledge to give you an honest effort to answer each question with the best of our ability. We also pledge that we're not going to just trust in our own abilities to do that, but instead we are going to use the highest standard, and that is the Bible, to answer these questions. So what does the Bible say about this question? Why is the God of the Old Testament so different from the New Testament. 
I'd like to start in Psalm 89, verses 14 to 18. I'd like for you to mark this passage and remember it, because I think it is extremely profound. I love it. Psalm 89, verses 14 to 18. I'll have it on the screen, but if you want to mark it in your own Bible, I would suggest it. It's profound. The Bible says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Talking about God. What is the foundation? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Love that. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They rejoice and they celebrate your righteousness. The Bible paints a picture for anyone willing to fall in love with its art form. And that beautiful portrait that it paints is one of a God who is consistently righteous, one who does things correctly, one who does everything in love and in faithfulness to those who learn to trust him. This verse says, if a person learns to believe that God is righteous and that he is just, then they will celebrate him and rejoice in him all the day long. Now, I have found this personally to be true. I didn't learn to trust him and put my full weight of belief in him until my early 20s. I can assure you before I did that, that I didn't rejoice in anything all the day long. But with God, in my life, things changed. And I was able and still am able to rejoice in him even in the most difficult of times and on my most difficult days. I think that's a miracle. It's another in the long line of reasons of why I personally believe in God and the power of his word, because God has not failed me, not yet. And he continues to show me every day that I can trust in him. So can we trust that the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament? Well, let's listen to what God's own words are in Malachi chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And I'm going to read a broad context here because I like what it says about him. It's going to be a theme. Malachi 3, 5 and 6 says this. So I will come and put you on trial, says the Lord. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. And the last sentence says, I, the Lord, do not change. Taking God at his word then, is the God of the Old Testament different than the God of the New? God himself says, I do not change. And I like how here he lists among his qualities the fact that he's quick to testify against injustice. Amen? 
We just finished a sermon series in Amos that was all about injustice and God, how he abhors it. In this very verse, he says he does not change. He is talking about he does not change the fact that he does not like injustice and quick to act. Now, before we get too into can we trust what God says about himself, I want to ask you, have you ever played this game here? Right? Yeah, it's a great game. It won game of the year years ago. Apples to apples, terrific game. We played it, matter of fact, in my house last week. This is what made me think of it. We have the Bible version, and it's a terrific game. In this game of comparisons, you have to draw seven red cards if you're playing, and each round there's a different judge, right? And there's one green card that the judge draws, and the judge lays that card down. Your job is to find one of the seven red cards that you have that compares the best with the green card laid down. So, for example, the green card in one round was rich. So I'm looking at my seven red cards for something that compares really well with that, and I had Esther. That was, I felt, the best card that I had. Why? Because Esther was a queen, and queens probably have a lot of money, right? (laughs) So I laid down Esther, and guess what? I won the point, so that was great. It's a fun game, especially if you have no red card that is even remotely close to the green card, and you lay it down, and it's a big laugh. Most of the points come when you get a red card that really compares very well with the green card, right? Why do I tell you all this? Well, it's to say that because when we compare the Old Testament with the New Testament, we are not comparing apples to apples, okay? Yes, I believe that we have the same God, a consistent God between the two testaments in the two testaments, but everything else is not similar. What do I mean? Because of the time frame of the Old Testament versus the New Testament is like comparing apples to oranges. Think about it for a minute. The Old Testament was written in a time frame of approximately 1,500 years. We're just talking about the time frame of the writers. It really talks about a scope much broader than that, even back to creation. From the time of 2000 B.C. to 400 B.C., the writers were involved. The New Testament, on the other hand, was written between around approximately 45 A.D., finishing up about 95 A.D., which is only about 50 years So when comparing the time frame of the Old Testament versus the time frame of the New Testament, you're talking about a time frame that is 30 times longer in the Old Testament. Meaning that the Old Testament is a much broader scope and includes more details of God's interaction with humankind. If the New Testament itself covered 1,500 years, then, and with commentary of Bible writers along the way, we would probably and certainly most likely see God interacting through human crisis after human crisis and wars and other things also, right? During this vast time frame of the Old Testament, we see God acting in ways to spare from injustice those who were entrusted to carry his message of salvation. Now, before we get going too far, let's be clear on what God desires for all people. 
we know from the Bible, in Genesis 22, 14 to 18, that the original, that the original desire of God was that this, these chosen carriers, Israel, were to be about blessing to the nations and not destruction. Said there in Genesis. Another original purpose of God is that everyone, according to his word, everyone would come to repentance. Every single person would come to repentance and not perish. God says, as I live, I do not delight in the destruction of the wicked. He does not delight in this. He wants everyone to be saved. However, the problem is, since the time of Cain and Abel, not everybody wanted to follow him, right? Some want to have a relationship with him, and others just absolutely refuse. And unfortunately, those who refuse oftentimes inflict pain on those who do follow the Lord, as in the case of Cain and Abel. And time after time, God's people and his message were threatened to the point of extinction by those whose hearts were hardened against God. And I think, well, how can some of those tiny nations really threaten the large nation of Israel? It wasn't so much the military might necessarily, but it was the ideology and their influence that could have caused them to perish, and we'll see that in God's word. God, in those cases and in those times, stepped in the way he said he would, as Malachi 3, 5, and 6 said, that verse that says, I, the Lord, do not change. He is the Lord who, doesn't, who is quick to testify against those who love to perpetuate injustice. A quick example of this. This God protecting his people before they became extinct is, of course, Noah and the flood. This is the best example that sets us up for what we're talking about next. Noah and the flood. Noah followed God, but how much of the rest of the world followed him? Genesis 6-5 says that God knew that the intentions of every heart in the world were evil perpetually. It's it was rampant, and Noah and his family, almost alone, it seems, were there. Yet God still had Noah preach for how long? A hundred plus years, 120 years, extending the doors of mercy open to anyone who was willing. Now, that sets the table, I believe, for what's the biggest topic when we ask about this question of the God of the Old Testament and New Testament. The biggest problem people have is with the children of Israel and the, biggest, the most line of questions come about the children of Israel's conquest of Canaan and some of the cities that were destroyed and people. So that's what we're going to spend the majority of our time on discussing this morning. The children of Israel. Let's get a little background of them again. They went into captivity in Egypt. Well, they, they went into Egypt because Egypt opened their land to them under uh, Joseph. But then we know that they became slaves. And finally, Moses goes and they are allowed to leave because God protected them. And they had this narrow escape from the Egyptians. They tried to leave peacefully, but the Egyptians were not having it. And you know the story of the Red Sea. Sorry, that's the Jericho wall. And so they narrowly escape, and the Egyptian army is killed in the ocean. So, 
The children of Israel, however, were not unscathed from how long were they in Egypt? 430 years in Egypt, and they had the culture of the Egyptians definitely influencing them. We see how crude they had become when in their relationship with God as when Moses went onto the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, they are building a golden calf to worship it even after this huge miracle of the sea dividing and the Egyptians being conquered. So we see that this influence was wreaking havoc in their society already as they have just been liberated. Also, what was the world like during this time? Were there huge police forces of nations there to be Uh, watching over the world to help when injustice was taking place? Absolutely not. We have that today. We have the United Nations and other nations that are a part of helping the world keep peace. Not so during this time frame. You have small pockets of people. You have small societies that were involved in wickedness that the world almost entirely today would say, that's unspeakable evil. We would all agree. These ancient societies engaged in things like child sacrifice to their gods like Moloch. This is the least disturbing picture I could pull up. There's a lot of horrible ones. Child sacrifices to their gods like Moloch and sexual orgies in their religious festivals and experience of worship expression. That means that their church services had these horrific atrocities being committed regularly. If that's what church was like, what was it like outside of church? Is what I want to know. I don't want to (laughs) know. Moving into these regions, Moses gave the children of Israel under God's direction two battle plans. Let's look at them quickly. For those cities outside of the promised land, the Israelites were to seek peace and then subject the nations. If the nations refused peace, the men were to be killed, but the women and the children and everything else were to be spared. You can find that in Deuteronomy chapter 20, Numbers chapter 31. For those cities within the promised land, it was different. Moses told the people, you shall not save alive anything that breathes. That means everyone, even animals. You shall utterly destroy them as your, the Lord, your God has commanded. Deuteronomy 20, 16 and 17. Why would God give such ex- extreme directives like this? Well, let's ask him in his word. Let his word speak, shall we? There's, I want to take you to a few scriptures that explain from God's mouth why he's doing this. First off is the next verse uh, from the, we read Deuteronomy 20, 16, 17. This is verse 18 now. He says, do this, don't spare them. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things that they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 5. Jot these down, too, if you want to. They're terrific to be able to share in a Bible study. Deuteronomy 20, 18. Now, Deuteronomy 9, verse 5. I love this verse. Listen to what God says here. It is not because of your righteousness. He's talking to the children of Israel. It's not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land. 
But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Surely knew, God knew that the children of Israel had all the sin inherent in them. He says, it's not your righteousness, it's because of the great wickedness that is taking place in these nations. And enlisting several abominable, detestable practices of these nations. Listen now to what God says in Leviticus 18. The language here shows how disgusting it was. Leviticus 18, 24 and 25 says, Do not defile yourself in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled. So I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. This wickedness was so great that it was said that even the land was crying, like crying out to purge itself of this. Vomited out the inhabitants. These nations were committing, folks, we don't have to explain it in detail, sexual crimes against one another, against animals, even killing their own children for religious ceremony. It's no wonder God says even the land they lived upon wanted to vomit them out of it. Now one thing that I think is imperative to stop and remember is this idea that just because God has pronounced judgment on people, does that mean that everyone is lost? Let me ask you, when the children of Israel came upon Jericho, was everyone lost? No. Rahab, with a very bad reputation, saved out of it, and maybe others that the Bible didn't even mention, and becomes part of the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. Just because God's judgment comes upon a group of people, even up until their dying moments, are they too far gone to be saved? We think about the thief on the cross, right? about to take his last breath, looks to Jesus and says, remember me, and Jesus gives him assurance, even in the last moments, God is willing to save. Now, in allowing entire people groups to die, we see that God was acting to preserve his people, according to his word, from these atrocities and injustices that threatened everyone to be lost and consumed by these, this wickedness. He had, had God not intervened, Israel would have fully embraced the false gods and the ways of these nations. And pe- they almost still did it even when he did intervene. People dry, died in order to spare the lives of those entrusted to share the message of how to find eternal life. That mes- message had to continue. Now, there are no easy answers. Even having said all this, there's still no easy answer to why is the God of the Old Testament so different than the New Testament. And I don't believe God is asking us not to feel the weight of the loss of life that we read in these passages. The same loss of life that God himself mourns, I think he expects that we would mourn also. Thinking about Hitler in World War II and the millions of Jews who lost their lives, and all of the people engaged in that battle, we mourn all the lives that were lost 
in World War II, but we better understand the necessity of it for that war. In explaining why these pagan nations in the Old Testament were destroyed, we can understand better the necessity for it in understanding the atrocities being committed while simultaneously mourning the loss of life still. We are programmed, aren't we, inherently to be upset when we read something like this. Because life is sacred, is it not? And it is something that the life giver himself wants everyone to keep for all eternity. We regard life. He regards life. Is grace seen in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Some of our favorite passages of grace come from the Old Testament. Many of you could quote one or two or several from heart, by heart. Are there messages of judgment in the New Testament? Absolutely. Jesus himself prophesied of the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus himself talking about wars and famines and pestilences that would come. Revelation warns about the end of the world and all the world wandering after the beast and this lake of fire that would be the second death for those who do not have a relationship with him. We see judgment in the New Testament. You have a much larger scope, however, remember, in the Old Testament than you do in the New Testament. But the New Testament has something that gave us the greatest picture of God that could ever be delivered, and that is Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, God in the flesh. 1,500 years of the Old Testament still pairs in comparison to the three and a half years that we get to watch Jesus in the New Testament and minister to people lovingly in the gospel accounts. Jesus gave us the understanding of what God looks like in real time, and in real situations. We see how he treated the downtrodden with compassion, and he extended mercy to those who were considered the worst of society. He was there for them. We saw his anger flare at those who embraced injustice, and how he vigorously defended those who were considered defenseless. Jesus knew the heart of each person inside and out and also in turn helped us to understand what God's heart looks like in person, like never before. Jesus came to this earth and gave us the context of how God operates, what his mission looks like up close and personal, and reassures us that he is not a cold and cruel God, but he is a loving and warm and kind God. Jesus told the people of Israel something profound. In John 8, 58, he says, truly, Jesus saying about himself, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is saying that this, is saying the same to us today through the power of his Holy Spirit working through his word. Truly, the same Jesus that we saw heal the blind. The same Jesus we saw cure the leper. The same one that we saw give hope to the widow and ask children to sit upon his bended knee. This same Jesus was there in the Old Testament 
overseeing every aspect of salvation history there. Isn't that what he's saying? Hebrews 13.8, Pastor Brian read, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And knowing what we saw from Jesus in the New Testament, how then do we see him reacting in the most difficult of moments and situations in the Old Testament stories that give us trouble? The horrific stories of death and destruction and perversion and spiritual poverty. How do we see Jesus there? I see Jesus there in each occasion as we saw him standing before Jerusalem in the Gospels in Luke chapter 19, 41 to 44, which says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, even if you, even you, had known, only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you on every side. They will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus showed us that his heart breaks in these situations from those who, about those who turn away from him. His heart has always been broken and it will always be broken for every soul that refuses to find solace in him. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 39, this is not a quote, but it says there that God alone knows the heart. This is a personalized slide I found. It says, I know your heart, God says, and I still hear you and I still forgive you. God alone knows the heart, says 1 Kings 8, 39 and other passages. He alone knows which hearts are accepting him. He alone knows which hearts are rejected him. Only God understands those things, and it's hard for us to understand those, those situations because we don't see what is in every human heart the way God does. But the question for today is this. Don't miss it. Who by faith will believe in the heart of God? He sees our hearts. He sees my heart, unfortunately, and the wickedness that is still there, and he's still willing to forgive me and accept me and love me. But are we willing to see and believe in his heart today? Are we willing to see and believe in his heart? Are we willing to accept him? In closing, switch gears. In closing, have you ever had one of these? Does anybody not know what that is? I'm thinking some of our younger folks might say, what is that? Pen pals. Pen pals were something that schools started and, and others uh, at home would, would take on the initiative of writing someone they don't know, maybe overseas or in a different country, and starting a line of communication through snail mail, you know, actually writing a letter on paper and putting it in an envelope and stamping it and sending it in the mailbox and waiting a long time before you get a response. Seems a little boring right now with email and everything else, texting. But it's pretty profound, and a lot of people engage in it. How many have ever had a pen pal in their life? Raise your hand. All right, we have a number of people here. Okay. 
Well, I wanted to share with you a story I found on YouTube about two ladies, Paulette and Jean, who were pen pals for 65 years. Imagine that, 65 years, and met for the first time. Would you like to see it? It's only about three minutes long video, but let's watch it together. Let's see if I can get it to go. Yes, my name is Paulette Tebow, and I have had a pen pal for 65 years. We were 10 when we started writing. You can do the math. <laughs> we first became pen pals in the fifth grade, and it was part of our English and our penmanship writing class. We used to exchange currency and coins and stamps. I remember that. And we lost contact for a while. I was busy having children, and she was busy with her family. And I think as we got older, the idea of meeting someday was what really kept us going. My name is Jean and I come from Aberdeen, Scotland and I've had my pen friend in America for 65 years. Well, I always seem to understand anything Paulette said to me, I seem to be able to relate to it. Possibly because we're just the same age. And even though we stayed in different countries, we just seem to connect. She's told me the story of all her life at school, boyfriends, dances, then she got married, and then all her children, all her grandchildren. It's been just lovely to hear her story. And of course, I wrote back my life story. I'm excited, yeah. <laughs> quite excited to meet her. We both have had children that have died, but when you lose a child, you belong to a very special group of people and she lost a son and I lost a daughter and it's it's a special it's a group that you don't want to belong to but you have a hole in your heart that other people can't understand where Jean and I understand that and she prays for my family which I think is wonderful I'm not, I'm not concerned at all about getting along with her because I feel like she's a sister. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> oh, oh, lovely to see you. Oh my goodness, oh, this is lovely. <laughs> Unbelievable, isn't it? This one's from March 2000. Dear Paulette, thank you very much indeed. Dear Jean, I try to count my blessings in each and every day. I do have You are often in my thoughts and you have always been, even during the years when we've not been in touch with each other. This is 1958. I was 15. Mm -hmm. I was a rotten teenager. <laughs> I love going out to the mailbox and finding a letter like this that says, Airmail from Jean. <laughs> I just love it. After 65 years, it's just lovely to have you for as my pen pal, and I'm so glad to be here and spending time with you. And I'm so happy to have you here, Jean. She's everything that I thought she would be, and I just, I knew from all of our letters and all of our exchanges throughout the years that we would be good friends like sisters. We'll keep writing to yes, each other. We have had love letters for centuries, haven't we? Entrusted to us and preserved for us in this book, the Holy Bible.
And I just want to encourage you today, when you finally meet the God who's responsible for all these letters, when you meet him in person, you'll be able to say, like they did on the video, he's everything that I thought he would be, but oh, how much more even. Seeing our maker in person, our redeemer, our forever friend, will meet and exceed all of our expectations. He he promises to dry every single tear from our eyes. He's willing to help us to understand all the questions for not just when we first see him, but through the limitless time of eternity. I know without him, I would find this world to be harsh, cruel, and focus how full it is of injustice. But because I have him in my life, I am able to have hope and have this ray of light that illuminates the dark path every day in front of me. Who is willing to trust their heart to this God today? Who is willing to see the heart of God today? God alone knows your heart. He knows my heart. And God alone will never throw your heart away, ever. And that was what makes him so unique in the entire universe. He will never throw your heart away. Why is the God of the Old Testament so different from the New Testament? Well, we've looked at some biblical principles and thoughts to contemplate. But the best answer I can give you is I believe the best way to understand this is to open your heart to God himself because he loves you so much. He is more than willing to answer every question you have starting now to forevermore. Will you stand with me so we can pray? Father in heaven, we live in a difficult world full of wars, famines, pestilences, injustices of all kinds of unspeakable evil. But Lord, out of that storm, we have a ray of hope a love letter given to us in your holy word that tells us that you are a loving God whose foundation is love and mercy and justice. Lord, I pray for anyone still questioning today that they would reach out to you even now by faith and believe and say, Lord, I believe you know my heart and I want you to know I also believe in yours. Lord, bless each of us as we navigate the dark path ahead, knowing that we have a loving God who will assure us of salvation and rescue us soon. Help us, Lord, to bring others with us. Come soon and save us in your awesome kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.